Yesterday morning, I rode my bike with three of my buddies. We had what we call the cinnamon roll ride. You can probably guess why we call it the cinnamon roll ride. It's mainly because the place that we go for coffee doesn't have apple fritters, right? So we start up in Whittier on Washington Boulevard. We ride all the way over to the L.A. River, Rio Hondo River Trail, and ride down to the west side of Long Beach. And then we ride across Long Beach to the corner bakery at the corner of 2nd and PCH. You all kind of track in geography with me. And uh, so we go to the corner bakery. We've been doing this for several years. We do our cinnamon roll once or twice a month. And uh, just, just a great time. So we park our bikes, I get my mask out, you know, got to wear your mask going in, and I get in line at the corner bakery, Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, and there's one girl at the cash register and a line of people out the door, and I'm in line, waiting. Waiting is one of my least favorite things in life. Anybody love to wait, just hanging out, waiting in the line is like just gives you great joy and satisfaction in life. You know, I just I hate to wait. Uh, hurry up and wait is a phrase that I just don't like. And so I'm waiting in this line and people are ordering and it seems like they're up there for hours. And time is going by and they're up there and finally the next person gets served. And by the time I finally get up to the cash register, the line behind me is out the door again. And there's one person taking orders for all these people. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, inefficiency, who's the manager, who's in charge of this mess, we shouldn't be waiting. You ever, you ever done that? And I got up to the cash register and I'm kind of trying to chill, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I got to, you know... I'm a Christian, i got to behave. Wouldn't it be nice to be a pagan and just kind of lash at you know? Um, and it became very obvious to me that the young lady behind the cash register was new. <laughs> she wasn't very experienced. And I just thought, oh, who's running this place? <laughs> Waiting in line. We spend a lot of our lives waiting. We wait on the freeway. We wait in lines. Uh, anybody been to Disneyland yesterday, recently? Are the lines any better than they were two years ago? I don't think so. Waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, sometimes in your prayer life, you find yourself waiting, right? And so, so God answers prayers. This is kind of Roy's little summary of how God answers prayer. God answers prayer in one of three ways. So the, the answer you always want to your prayers is way number one. And that answer is, yes. yes, now. That's the one we always want. And of course, then there's the other answer that we don't particularly care for. And that answer is, no. no. And then ultimately, there's the third answer, which is wait. I don't like to wait. And so I summarize it with the words go, no, and slow. Yes is a go, no is no, and wait is slow. Go, no, and slow. And so I want you to come this morning back with me to Mark chapter 5. And we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of events in the life of Jesus that illustrate for me what it means to wait for God to answer my prayers. And it's actually kind of fascinating because the, 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 the way that Mark's gospel is organized and the way that it flows, 
In chapter 4, if you remember chapter 4, we ended with Jesus calming the storm at sea, right? Anyone remember that? Someone just nod and kind of pretend like you remember that. Okay, good. And so, there's the storm. Jesus calms the storm. And he says what to his disciples? Where is your faith? And of course they responded and said, Who is this guy? He calls the storm, the wind, and the rain. But his, his rebuke to them is, Where is your faith? That's the end of chapter 4. And then chapter 6 kind of begins the same way with this lack of belief. And Jesus can't perform miracles in this city because of people's unbelief. And sandwiched in the middle of chapter 4 and chapter 6 is, guess what? Chapter 5. And chapter 5 is a great lesson about faith, but it's also a lesson about prayer, and it's also a lesson about waiting. As we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5, there's probably, I could probably choose three, four, maybe even five different themes to kind of develop in this chapter. But I want to focus this morning on this idea of waiting for God to answer prayer. What do you do while you wait? What do you do while you wait? Anybody waiting this morning for God to answer the prayer? I got several, and I'm waiting. What do you do while you're waiting for God to answer prayer? And I think there's some clues here. Well, actually, one big, huge clue that hopefully you'll pick up real quick. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 and read all the way down to the end of the chapter. So I want you to track with me as I read and be thinking to yourself, what do you do while you're waiting for God to answer prayer? What do you do? When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, remember he was over on the west, I'm sorry, the east side of the Sea of Galilee in Decapolis, the ten Gentile cities. Now he's crossing back over east. He's crossed over, he's on the other side now. A large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him. They implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. You won't find that commentary in Luke's Gospel. Dr. Luke doesn't uh, talk about physicians and money and failure to find any results. I find that humorous, I'm sorry. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. 
Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had proceeded from him, had gone out forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion. People loudly weeping and wailing, and entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, she is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Are those great, great, great words? I mean, they're just—it's just amazing. And as I said, there's there's many themes here that I can that I can touch on. But what's what's impacted me the most in this passage is what I want to share with you this morning. I want you to notice first of all the request that this synagogue official makes of Jesus. Here is a father. Put yourself in his place for a moment now. I want you to kind of think of yourself as Jairus this morning. I want you to put yourself in his place. You are a prominent figure in the community. You are the official in the synagogue. You are respected. You have high social status. Uh, You happen to also have wealth. You're at the higher levels of society. And your little girl is sick. Your 12-year-old daughter is sick. Do you think he's taken her or brought in doctors and others to look at his daughter? Do you think that's happened? I think so. I don't think he's been sitting home, you know. Uh, he's done everything he knows how to do. Were there medicines available? Were there potions available? Was there something that could have been given to her? If there was, he tried If there were medical officials available that could have come and treated and helped, They've been there. This father is at a point of desperation. And he's heard about Jesus. He may have even seen some of the miracles Jesus performed. How many of the miracles did he do in that synagogue? Right there in Capernaum. You know, I know he at least cast out a demon once and he healed a guy with a withered hand in the synagogue there. So this guy knows of Jesus' reputation. He may have witnessed with his own eyes... Jesus healing. And so in this desperation, 
He's waiting for Jesus to come back across the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus returns. Jesus is surrounded by mobs of people. And Jairus comes to him. And his posture is what? On his face, on his knees, in front of Jesus. If you were Jairus, what would your state of mind be? What would, what would your voice sound like as you're crying out to Jesus? Come help my daughter. She's at the point of death. So Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people that he's having the opportunity to teach, to heal. This crowd is pushing around him. What does Jesus do? Does he tell the guy, I'm busy? Does he tell the guy, I've got all these thousands of people that I need to be taken care of? What does he do? He leaves the multitude and goes with one man to go see one 12-year-old girl. Frankly, if I was Jesus, I probably would have seen Jairus as an interruption to my plans. I've got thousands of people to take care of here. (laughs) Jesus leaves the multitude to take care of one desperate father whose one daughter is at the point of death. I don't know how that strikes you this morning, but I think, so is Jairus coming to Jesus? Is this an interruption? Or is this an opportunity? And I think in my life how often I'm guilty, have been guilty, of seeing interruptions rather than opportunities. You ever done that? Done it many times. Interruption or opportunity. You know, you think about the life that we lead, the busy, hectic schedule that we have in our lives. And so often, I believe, God brings us opportunity disguised as an interruption. And how do I respond? How do you respond? The other thing that impresses me here in this Father's request And Jesus' response to the request is this. Did Jesus care about the hundreds, the thousands, the multitude? Did Jesus care, yes or no? Absolutely. Jesus cares for the thousands. Jesus cares for the millions. But guess what? Jesus cares for individuals. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for me. Is that amazing to you? When you and I come to Jesus, He cares and responds. 
we talk a lot about the fact that this this thing of being a Christian is all about a personal relationship. And I think sometimes we forget that when we use those words, what we're saying is, I, me, Roy, I have a personal one-on-one relationship with the living God through His Son Jesus. Does that amaze you? It ought to blow you away. It ought to blow you away. I've probably shared this before because I love to share it. The 23rd Psalm, for me, makes the care of my heavenly shepherd so very personal. It doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd, or the shepherd, or our shepherd. It says what? My shepherd. He's mine. He knows me. He knows my name. He cares about me. And in that 23rd Psalm, if I've counted correctly, I've told you my math skills are not the best, 17 times in those six short verses, 17 times you find the words I, me, and my. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leaves me beside the still waters. He makes me me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to walk in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? You are with me. It's personal. And I just think this story illustrates that so well. We have, we have a Savior, we have a Redeemer, we have a God who cares about the thousands, the millions. But most importantly, He cares about Roy. No, most importantly, He cares about you, right? And the story of Jairus coming to Jesus in the midst of this multitude, in the midst of this crowd, reminds me Jesus loves me. He cares about me. He's interested in my life. And that, that ought to just kind of blow us away. It really should. So here's Jairus. He comes to Jesus. Jesus leaves the multitude. Opportunity, not interruption. And he and Jairus are now on their way to Jairus' home where his little girl is at the point of death. And on the way, here's this woman. She is a she is a striking contrast to Jairus. Striking contrast. Here's Jesus with this high community leader, high respect, high social status, a person of wealth and means, and they're moving to Jairus's home. And this woman approaches Jesus, and her her mindset is. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. Can you picture that? She's in this crowd, but all she wants to do is just so I get to touch. Just want to touch the hem of his garment. This woman 
is at the opposite end of the social spectrum in first central Israel, first century Israel. She has, for 12 years, been bleeding. That bleeding makes her ceremonially and ritually unclean. So, people in that Jewish culture who don't want to be unclean, how did they respond and react to this woman? Talk about social distancing. <laughs> you know? They're, they're distant from her. She's not welcome in the temple. So she can't, she can't go to the temple. She can't go and participate and, and make sacrifice. She's not welcome in the synagogue. She can't go to the synagogue and participate there. She is an outcast. She is kept at a distance. Maybe that's how she got to Jesus, because she, she approached Jesus' people separated. I don't know. But all she wanted to do was touch the hem of Jesus' garment. So Jesus stops. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't need to stop? Jesus didn't need to point her out. Jesus didn't have to do that. Why did he do that? Could have been lots of reasons. But he wanted this woman to know that not only was she healed physically, but he talked to her about being healed spiritually. And so when, when Jesus turned around and spoke to this woman, he talked to her about not only physical healing, but spiritual healing. And that message also permeated the crowd, right? People heard Jesus speak and they knew that this woman had been healed. <laughs> are you still in the role of Jairus? Are you still pretending to be Jairus? Are you, are you watching what's happening? Your 12-year-old your daughter's dying. And Jesus was coming with you. He was. But he stopped. What are you thinking? What's going through your head? He not only stops, but he turns around and, and speaks to this woman. And in your heart and in your mind, what are you thinking? Hurry! Hurry! We've got to get to my house! We don't have time for this! So, Jesus is interrupted by Jairus. Now, Jairus is interrupted by this woman. And again, I see interruption, opportunity. Interruption, opportunity. How often has Roy missed it when God has brought an interruption that's really an opportunity? Waiting isn't much fun. And so Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter is near death, and Jesus stops. He wants him to hurry. Let's go. Come on. The woman will be fine. Let's go. Jesus stops. <laughs> Waiting is not fun. Especially in a time of desperation. Waiting is not fun. It's frustrating. Uh, you can respond in a variety of ways with anger. And then... To make matters worse, 
People come from Jairus' house with a message. What's the message? Too late. You took too long. You blew it. You're Jairus. How are you feeling when that message comes? Devastated. Crushed. Who said the word crushed? That's better than my word. Crushed. Devastated. Your daughter is dead. What do you do while you wait? What did Jesus say to Jairus when the people came and said, Hey, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. No need to hurry. It's over. What did, what did Jesus say to Jairus? What's, what's your text say? Don't be afraid. Just believe and if I were to translate that with my understanding of the original language, I would translate it, don't be afraid, keep on believing. Because here's an example of a guy that had faith, right? He had faith in Jesus because he left his home where his daughter was sick. He came in pursuit of Jesus. He made his request to Jesus, believing that Jesus could do what he asked him to do. Jairus came in faith. And now the people come with this message, and what's the danger now? End of his faith. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. You're Jairus. And he says, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. How, how do you respond to that? How do you react to that? Is that just an easy thing to do? Your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Wow. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do while you wait? Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. There's, there's other examples of waiting in the Bible that I find interesting. Because waiting isn't always, um, let me back up, from my vantage point, when I'm involved, waiting isn't necessary, right? Waiting isn't required. That's how I look at it. But sometimes, in God's view of things, guess what you and I need? To wait. So, do you remember the story of uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Sort of, kind of. If you remember the story, Lazarus was sick. And Mary and Martha, his two sisters, sent a message to Jesus. Interesting message. They didn't just say, hey, yo, our brother is sick. The, the message to Jesus was, Lazarus, whom you love is sick. Now when Jesus got that message from Mary and Martha that his friend Lazarus was sick, Jesus immediately packed his suitcase and raced off to Bethany. No, he didn't do that. What did Jesus do? Waited. How long did Jesus wait? Four days! 
It was four days before he arrived in Bethany. And again, put yourself in Mary Martha's place. You totally get it. When each of them separately comes to Jesus, obviously they've talked about this because they're on the same page. Each of them separately comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd come, my brother wouldn't have died. Wow. Is that a rebuke to Jesus? What is that? If you come a little sooner, Lazarus would still be alive. Of course, you know how that story ended, right? Was the wait worth it? Wow. You know. They all go out to the tomb where Lazarus has been entombed for four days. And uh, Jesus tells them to roll the stone away, right? And Martha says, ah, time out, Lord. Uh, what, what's that word, Tom? He stinketh. The old King James word. Uh, it's been four days. He stinketh. Okay. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Yeah, I've always tried to picture in my mind, he's still all wrapped up in the mummy stuff, you know, that they wrap bodies in. How did he come out? But Lazarus was alive. He wasn't sick anymore. Was it worth the four-day wait for that? There's a little event captured in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel is praying and looking to the Lord to, to hear and to answer. And 21 days go by before one of, one of God's angels appears and says, I've been trying to get here for three weeks, but there's been satanic opposition in the heavenlies. I got held up, but I'm here now. Sometimes God wants us to wait. He wants us to wait. I hate waiting, don't you? I want that yes answer. And so I look at this story and I think to myself, you know, there's a big lesson here that uh, Roy needs to learn. The lesson is learning how to wait. Don't be afraid. Only believe. That's the lesson that God wants me to learn in this chapter. And probably if I if I would guess that many of us, maybe most of us, perhaps all of us, find ourselves this morning in God's waiting room. And we find ourselves praying and waiting. Last week, I uh, told you that the, the Bluegrass Brethren concert was canceled because my friend Tim Bryant, his wife, and maybe some other family members, I wasn't clear, all had COVID. And so the concert was canceled. 
And then I got a, I can't remember if it was Sunday afternoon or Monday, early in the week, Sunday or Monday. I saw, I got a post on Facebook that my friend Tim Bryant is in a hospital in Texas on a ventilator. And I just kind of, in my mind, when I hear the word ventilator, I think just like gyrus. It's over. And so I've been praying frequently, praying for all of those in our church family that have been sick. Uh, Carol Ann had an MRI in the middle of the week, waiting to hear results. I'm praying for these folks in our church family that are sick, waiting for results. Praying for my friend Tim. I've heard nothing more since Monday. He's on a ventilator in Texas. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm in God's waiting room with that prayer request, right? I'm waiting for another test that we're waiting for with my wife. We got results of a test this last week that we waited like two, three weeks to finally get test results. And now they want to do another test. And now we're waiting. And so it's okay. We have to wait for the request for this test to be submitted. And then we have to wait for what? Insurance company to approve it. And then we have to wait to get it on the calendar. And it's just wait, wait, wait. (laughs) We've been waiting for God to send us a new pastor. We're in God's waiting room. It's not fun waiting. I don't like waiting. I like that yes answer. And the lesson that's captured here for me in the words of Jesus, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Paul waited. You remember he prayed for the thorn in the flesh that would be removed? He prayed three times. So there was at least a period of waiting. Since he called on the Lord three times. Of course, when his waiting was over, he got the no answer, right? But what answer did he give alongside of the no? What was the rest of the answer? My grace is sufficient for you. That's a good reminder, too, as I wait. God's grace is sufficient. So what's on your prayer list today? What is it that has you in God's waiting room? Health issue? Financial issue? Relationship issue? I've been praying since Easter for members of my family that aren't talking to each other. And my wife and I pray at least once a day when we pray together that God would somehow work in this situation and bring these two people that aren't talking, aren't communicating, there's anger, hostility. God somehow intervened in this in Easter, May, June, July, August. I've been praying and waiting on that for four months. Relationship issues. So if Jesus were to speak to you today, and he would use this story of Jairus 
By the way, we didn't finish the story, did we? Because when those servants came and said, don't trouble the teacher, daughter's dead, Jesus takes his three inner circle disciples, goes to Jairus' house, finds this great commotion. They hired mourners in those days to yell and scream so everybody knows someone died. And they get to Jairus' house and Jesus tells all these people to beat it. He cleans them all out. It's just Jesus, his three disciples, Jairus and his wife and the little girl. So these three disciples at the end of chapter 4 were in that boat with Jesus and they were saying, who is this guy? (laughs) Now Jesus has him in this little girl's bedroom and he raises her from the dead. Do you think they're picking up on any, any message here? I hope so. Maybe there's a message there for you and me. That waiting, waiting is, is going to come to an end at some point. Waiting is going to come to an end. And I can't remember all the words of one of the songs we sang this morning. I just couldn't believe. Uh, but one of the songs talked about waiting. And... Uh, God's going to do what He's going to do in His time, right? Not my timetable. It's His timetable. So how's your faith as you wait this morning? If you find yourself in God's waiting room, how's your faith? And if you were to take a scale of 1 to 10 where 1 is Jesus saying to you, where's your faith? Oh, you have a little faith. You're all the way down here at 1. Or all the way up here, here at 10. How's your faith this morning as you're in God's waiting room? How's your faith? Because what Jesus wants you to hear and respond to this morning is, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Keep on trusting. Keep on faithing. Because our God is able. This little phrase has captured my attention many times. When you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. Because we can't always see what God is doing. We can't always figure out what God is doing. At least I can. Maybe you can. I, I can't. I don't. I sometimes just kind of shake my head and say, Lord, what in the world are you doing here? <laughs> what is going on? But when you can't trace God's hand, you can trust His heart. Because God cares about us as individuals, not just as a group. He cares about you and He cares about me. We used to sing a chorus back in the 70s. In His time, in His time, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way, that you do just what you say in your time. In your time, in your time, you make all things beautiful in your time. God wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in my life. And so it's kind of like there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is, God's going to do what He's promised to do in His time, in His way. He's going to do it. The bad news is, i got to wait. So am I going to wait thinking that somehow I'm being punished by God? Why me? 
Why is this happening? Or am I going to trust him that God knows what he's up to? God has a plan. His timing is always perfect. His timing is always best. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, give us that confidence and this, that assurance this morning. Many of us find ourselves in your waiting room. Many of us find ourselves frustrated while we wait. Many of us find ourselves perhaps angry while we wait. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would take the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. And help us to see in the the life of Jairus, in the midst of the interruptions of life, that you're giving us opportunities, opportunities to trust you, opportunities to walk with you, opportunities to serve you. Lord, I suspect that none of us really cares to wait. But I'm grateful that as we wait for you, You are the God we sung of earlier. You are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. You are the light in the darkness. Lord, help each one of us to marvel that you care about us individually, personally, singly. And help us to not be afraid but keep on believing. Help us to do that with the ambition and goal that our faith and our trust in you will will shine a bright light into a dark and needy world. That as people see us waiting on you, trusting you, believing in you, that people are going to be drawn to know Jesus by our example of waiting and trusting. Lord, that's our prayer together this morning as we ask In Jesus' name. Amen.
great grace, deep kindness. What was the third one I lost right there? Something. Yeah, strong mercy. Wow, good reminders. Many of our church family are home this morning, I believe, watching this on YouTube. And uh, as I prayed this week, I prayed that people would be able to make good decisions about coming or not coming this morning. And uh, one of those people was my wife. We decided it might be a good morning for her just to stay home and watch online. So those of you that are online, I just want you to know I miss you and I look forward to seeing you back. But we all understand with this surge and the things you're reading in the newspaper and seeing on the evening news... Um, it's nervous time, right? We're a year and a half into this thing, and uh, a lot of people are nervous. And that's why we suggested, you know, wear a mask as you come and go this morning. Um, I was wearing my mask. I was outside talking to people. None of them had a mask, so I took mine off. I was glad to do that. But if I'm going to, I'll grab my mask, and if I'm talking to you and you've got a mask, I'll put mine on. And, and we're all good with that, right? I love you whether you've got a mask or not, and uh, it's all good. Maybe you're waiting this morning. Maybe you're in God's waiting room. Maybe you'd like to just be able to sit with someone and and pray together. Invite someone into the waiting room with you to pray with you. If that's you this morning, as we conclude, I just invite you to kind of wander up here. I'm going to stay right here. And uh, if you'd like prayer this morning, uh, come on up. I don't know, Tim may be busy back there, he can't come, but that's over here. He'll stay in his little corner. Eddie's back here, he'll stay in his corner. you don't have to seek out our, our elders to pray. There's lots of praying people in this church family that I'm grateful for. But if you'd like prayer this morning, just ask someone to pray with you. Join you in the waiting room. If not, have a great week. And look for an opportunity this week to radiate and reflect the hope that's in Jesus. To the lost world that's scared of this pandemic needs to know there's hope in Jesus. To radiate that in your life this week. That you're not afraid, you're believing in Jesus. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Make that your your theme this week. Will you do that? Have a great week, man. God bless.